Hello, I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. If it walks like a labor union, talks like a labor union, acts like a labor union, and is funded by labor unions, is it a labor union? That is the question my guest, Max Nielsen, Director of Labor Policy at the Freedom Foundation, is asking about Working Washington, a service employees international union front group active in the state of Washington. The Freedom Foundation, alongside the Center for Union Facts, filed a complaint with the Department of Labor asking the Labor Department to regulate Working Washington as a labor union because it advocates for changes in workers' wages, hours, and conditions of employment while taking over $15.5 million in payments from labor unions, most notably the SEIU. Uh, before we go full labor nerd here, Max, could you tell us a little more about your background and about the work you guys do at the Freedom Foundation? Sure, yeah. And no, I've been uh, working on labor policy issues for the Freedom Foundation for uh, well, probably about seven and a half years now. And we focus primarily on public sector unions, government unions, uh, out here on the West Coast. We have uh, offices now. We're, we're Washington State-based organization. Uh, we've been around since 1991, but we have offices and staff now in Oregon, California, Ohio, and Pennsylvania as well. Much of our work these days is focused on helping public employees resign their union membership. Uh, and, that's and an option. Advan- and take advantage of their Janus uh, of their Janus rights to opt out of then paying union fees. Exactly right. Exactly right. So we've assisted tens of thousands. I think we're up over seventy thousand now public employees we've assisted in exercising those freedoms since the Janus decision in 2018. that the five states that you mentioned, none of them have a right to work law. So <laughs> that Janus is correct. Had, Janus had meaningful effect in all of them. It absolutely did. And unfortunately, in those states, private sector employees uh, do not have that same ability and can legally be required to pay a union as a condition of keeping their job. Uh, so that's that's the short version. We've we've worked on a number of issues over the years, uh, but but labor and particularly public sector labor is is our big focus for the last uh, last several years. So let's move now to Working Washington. Uh, Working Washington is part of this broader universe of worker centers. These are these less progressive, labor union aligned, often labor union funded organizations that claim not to be labor unions but do lots of labor union related things. Is that kind of kind of kind of right that's that's a pretty fair description and and there's really it's it can be a little bit difficult to to classify these organizations uh, because they they're a fairly new phenomenon at least in the world of labor law which <laughs> doesn't change very often been, yeah they've been around for like five like five or ten years as I recall I know Rocky United which is kind of the prototype worker center of this new breed of worker centers was founded right after 9-11. Right. Uh, and and I think that late 90s, early 2000s is when you started to see them grow. But they really took off under the Obama administration. Yeah, 20, 2011, uh, 2012, you had our Walmart mm-hmm. from the UFCW. You had the fight for 15, what they then called fast food forward. And interestingly, uh, our Walmart and Fast Food Forward were affected by Department of Labor regulation. Uh, uh, fast Food Forward then became the fight for 15, and then all the committees had to register as labor unions, and our Walmart uh, basically had to split uh, when the National Labor Relations Board said, you're acting too much like a labor union. <laughs> Cor- correct. So this this is an interesting class of organizations, and, and they go by different names, worker centers, union front organizations, alt labor has been one of the terms used to describe them. Uh, but generally, they they are not organized as 
501c5 organizations for tax purposes. Yeah, that's, they, under, that's it, under the tax code. That's your labor and horticultural organization. So it's your yep. unions and your farm bureaus. Yep, exactly right. So more often, these worker center organizations are 501c3s, a traditional nonprofit, or 501c4 Which, nonprofit. If you're a, if you're a C3 like Rock United, that means you can get money from big progressive foundations, most notably Ford Foundation. Correct. Yes, and and I believe the same applies for 501c4s as well. They have a little bit extra flexibility when it comes to engaging in political activity that C3s don't have. Uh, so working Washington in this case is a 501c4. And it was founded uh, in 2011 during the Occupy movement, uh, but there's there's no secret about its origins. So this was an SEIU project uh, from from start to finish, and it and it continues to be. And it was and uh, it was deeply involved, as I recall, in the early part of the fight for 15, the fast food forward, the the so-called fast food strikes of 2011, 12, 13. Correct. Correct. After it got its legs and, and during the Occupy movement, it quickly shifted into the Puget Sound area out, out here in Washington State, the greater Seattle area arm of the SEIU's Fight for 15. And so it was closely involved in the campaign for the $15 minimum wage in SeaTac, which was the first city in, in the country to pass a $15 minimum wage, and then follow up with the $15 minimum wage fight in Seattle that occurred a few months later. And of course, uh, of course so, Fight for 15 is a maybe not wholly but substantially SCIU operation. They funded it to the tune of almost, if not over a hundred million dollars at latest figures I've seen. Correct. And and the same is true of Working Washington. It does receive funding from other unions than SCIU affiliates, but a large bulk of its funding comes from the national SCIU and then from the local SEIU uh, here in Washington State as well. Uh, but it also gets money occasionally from, from other unions that, uh, that are ideologically aligned. So then uh, what is your guys' complaint? What is, what is its meat? So this is an interesting subject. Uh, the, there is a federal law, the Labor Management Reporting and Disclosure Act, that's if been I, on the if books. If I may interject about the Labor Management Reporting and Disclosure Act, if you want to learn more about the Labor Management Reporting and Disclosure Act, we have a long profile of its history, its legislative development, and some of its provisions at InfluenceWatch.org that will be linked in today's show notes. Uh, an excellent resource in, on, on the background of that law. Uh, the LMRDA was passed in 1959 in response to congressional investigations and a, a increasing series of union scandals uh, about how this unions. Was the classic Jimmy Hoffa and the Teamsters against Bobby Kennedy. Exactly right. Exactly right. So involving the misuse of union funds, uh, rigging of uh, internal union elections. Uh, nefarious conduct of that nature. So the LMRDA was passed as a way to protect union employees and, and employees that deal with labor organizations uh, from being taken advantage of by their unions or by these these organizations that are were seeking to represent them. And so it contain, contains a package of measures such as requiring uh, labor organizations to file copies of their governing documents with the Department of Labor uh, annual financial reports with the Department of Labor uh, requiring that union uh, or, or officer elections be conducted in a manner that satisfies certain basic standards, provides a bill of legal rights to union represented workers and so on. And so that that law has governed private sector labor union affairs, internal affairs since 1959. 
uh, and help safeguard the, the rights of employees in their dealings with unions. The, the issue, though, the, is, is one of scope and one of jurisdiction. The LMRDA certainly applies to labor or to, to unions, labor unions. There's no, there's no doubt that it applies to the SCIU. <laughs> Correct. Absolutely right. Uh, the question is, how does it apply to groups beyond labor unions? And it, in legal terms, we know, yes, it does. That's already been established. Uh, but it comes back to the definition of labor organization in the law. And how broad is that definition? Is it broad enough to include a group like Working Washington? So there's three components, three primary components to that definition. In order to be subject to the LMRDA, a labor organization has to be involved first in an industry affecting commerce. So a union that represented only public employees, for example, only government employees. This is is why... Unions like uh, the California State Employees Association, SEIU Local 1000, does not file an LM2 because they only represent government workers at the state level and they're not covered by the LMRDA. Exactly right. Because of this issue, they're they're not involved in an industry affecting commerce. They're involved in government only. So that's, that's the first criteria. It has to be involved in private sector affairs. The second uh, prong of that definition is that the the organization has to have employees participating within it. Uh, so if, if some private sector employee of an employer somewhere has to be involved in the activities or the leadership or the functions of the labor organization. And then the third criteria is that the organization has to have a purpose of dealing with employers, private sector employers, over wages, working conditions, grievances, labor disputes, etc. In all of this, uh, dealing with are the magic words. <laughs> ex- exactly right. Yes, that's that's the key. So we've laid out in our complaint, I think, a very compelling argument that Working Washington satisfies each of those components of the definition of labor organization and should, therefore, be subject to all of the requirements and regulations under the LMRDA designed to protect employees that participate in that organization. So far, Working Washington has not taken any steps to comply with the LMRDA, doesn't file financial reports, uh, doesn't file governing documents, and as far as we know, doesn't conduct elections uh, for its officers, even though it claims to have members, it claims to have employees who are participating as leaders and activists, uh, and it talks at great length uh, about how it deals with private sector employers. That's, That's the the nutshell version of the complaint. Yeah, no. And so then if if the Labor Department agreed with you guys, the Labor Labor Department says, yes, uh, clear, clearly Working Washington uh, satisfies these three tests, then then what what would happen? They'd obviously have to file their, their annual report, the LM2. Uh, what, what else? Well, I think there's a few things that, that would have to happen before we get to that point. So assuming that the Office of Labor Management Standards, the, the entity within DOL that administers the LMRDA and regulates uh, labor organizations, assuming they agree that Working Washington is subject to the LMRDA, they will engage in a process with Working Washington to try to bring them into compliance. Now, Working Washington may say, okay, fine, we agree, we'll start voluntarily filing our financial statements and governing documents, and we'll start instituting the regular elections for our officers that require with or that comply with uh, LMRDA requirements. 
um, or they may choose to fight it. They may choose to say, we think you're wrong, uh, oh, Department sure. yeah, of they Labor. Could, they could always go and, and take it. Exactly right. And so I think at that point, the, the burden would be on OLMS to then initiate a legal proceeding to force Working Washington into compliance. I see. Um and then sort of one other item with Working Washington, we they've they've been pushing against uh, the the contract workers, what they what they call the gig workers, haven't they? Uh, kind of like the rest of big labor trying to bring that California AB5 nationally. They have. They've been very involved in the last few years in targeting the gig, the gig economy. Uh, and just due to the nature of it, that's uh, although it's a Washington State-based organization, they've they've taken on this fight on in a more national way. Uh, there, and I mean, there is the national legislation, the the, the Pro Act, which mm-hmm. among the many apocalyptically awful policies that it includes, is it's a national expansion of AB five. Correct, and and generally the goal, right, is to shift independent contract work into the realm of traditional employer-employee relationships. Uh, now that the simple reason, the simple reason for that is because a traditional employer-employee relationship can be subject to collective bargaining under the National Labor Relations Act, which that, means due money for the unions. <laughs> cor- correct. Yes, exactly right. And and so, yeah, independent contractors under the National Labor Relations Act are not uh, cannot be unionized in in a traditional fashion. Uh, so we've seen. Uh, efforts, even setting aside the, the congressional efforts like the PRO Act that would that would do away in many aspects with the, the gig economy and much independent contract work. We've also seen attempts by groups like Working Washington uh, to pass localized versions of, of the National Labor Relations Act, if you will, pass local uh, ordinances or state laws that allow for independent contractors to be unionized under under a state law or something under, with a mandatory collective bargaining provision like the national relations act has with regular uh private sector employees correct now so far those efforts have not been successful the the city of seattle a couple years back had passed an ordinance to allow the unionization of uh, rideshare drivers for uber and lyft and, and similar companies and that was challenged in court by the u.s chamber of commerce freedom foundation national right to work and a number of other groups were, were involved in challenging that and it, it was struck down uh but in if they can't get the whole the whole package that they want They'll still try to take secondary action and, and, and secondary measures to still erode that independent contract work basis and try to make these folks look more like employees. And so a lot of the activism that Working Washington is engaged in uh, at the moment deals with trying to get these uh, gig economy companies, uh, DoorDash and, again, Uber, rideshare companies, uh, to change their change their practices, uh, to change their uh, funding structure or their their payment structure for uh, the contractors that participate. Now, those folks, there's there's some interesting legal questions about whether, again, because we're talking about for LMRDA purposes, we need to be talking about an employment relationship. Uh, there's some interesting questions about whether that activity is qualifies as as being subject to lmrda regulation um but i so i will emphasize whether your actions trying to represent people under a state law would then trigger definition as a labor organization correct so our complaint emphasizes uh you know the, the other body of work that washington working washington engages in which is that traditional 
employer-employee relationship focus. So, for example, uh, Working Washington has targeted Starbucks to try and change uh, their parental leave policy. And after uh, the policy was changed and Working Washington then went back and took credit for that change, but it was engaging in things like showing up outside shareholder meetings at Starbucks and distributing pamphlets and getting uh, Starbucks employees to speak during these shareholder meetings uh, and advocate for changes to the parental leave policy. Sign get you know, a petition drive to get Starbucks employees to sign a petition uh, that was submitted to Starbucks to change the parental leave policies. So that's, that's the type of activity that they engage in on a regular basis that targets specific policies at specific employers uh for change uh and so that's that's exactly the type of activity and changes in wages hours and conditions of employment that 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 as well yes uh yeah no in the starbucks case yeah it was that that parental leave policy but in other cases it's been other other issues uh working washington has even gone so far as to participate in explicit union organizing drives at certain private employers uh, now, the, the employees at the end of the day didn't join Working Washington as their as their labor union representative. They joined the SCIU or Teamsters. Uh, but the point is Working Washington is engaged in uh, dealings with employers. It has employees participating in it as an organization, uh, and it is attempting to change workplace policies, practices, uh, payment, wages, and, and so forth. Well, that's... That pretty much uh, does it. That's our show for this week. Thank you, Max, uh, from the Freedom Foundation for uh, joining us. We encourage you to subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.